Alrighty, church, if you have your Bibles, let's open those up to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 17 this morning. I wish someone had let me know that this was when we were going to do pastor appreciation because uh, I might have shortened this thing up a little bit had I known uh, that was going. So if you've got anything to put in the basket, go ahead and do that right now before we get to the end of this because you might start taking some stuff out <laughs> by the time that we're done. At this point in our study of Ecclesiastes, we are now solidly in the back half of the book, which many of you may say amen to. I'm doing my very best to wrap this up the week before Thanksgiving, so you can be thankful after that that you're not having to go through Ecclesiastes anymore. Uh, with 12 chapters overall, uh, we began chapter 7 last week, so... Uh, we're finding ourselves less and less in that woe is me, everything is futile, everything is meaningless parts of Ecclesiastes. So now we're getting more into the section where Solomon provides us with advice on how to best navigate life under the sun. Right In chapter 7, Solomon pointed out the value of death. He pointed out the value of wisdom with several rapid-fire uh, proverbs in verses 1 to 14. If you like that, you're going to get to experience that again in chapters 10 and 11 uh, because that, those are pretty much all Proverbs. Uh, and then at the end of the chapter, Solomon warns us against the foolishness of being overly righteous and against being excessively wicked. He said that being self-righteous will lead to our destruction. If we think more highly about ourselves than we should, then we are going to find ourselves in a world of hurt because it's if we think we're better than we are, then it makes us believe that we have no need for a savior. Right? If I'm a good person, if I've got things, you know, going right, going well in my life, you know, if I'm doing checking all the boxes, I might believe that I have no need for Christ when nothing could be further from the truth. Like Life is not about checking boxes, it's about honoring God, and we don't do that the way that we're supposed to. That's why we need Jesus. And so our self-righteousness could lead to our destruction. And on the flip side of that, uh, excessive wickedness will lead to people dying before their time because they end up doing foolish things. Right? I mentioned last week that Solomon throwing out the word excessively before wicked isn't his way of saying that he believes it's okay to be a little bit wicked. Right? Just a little bit. I can, I can tell the white lie. I can steal just a little bit. As long as it's none of the big sins, I'll be okay. That's just his way. Him saying don't be excessively wicked is acknowledging that no matter how hard we try, we're going to be just a little bit wicked. That's in our nature. We are sinful by nature. We don't give God the glory that He deserves all the time. We don't love people the way that He has called us to all the time. And so therefore, we're always just a little bit wicked. In verse 20 from chapter 7, Solomon points out that there are no righteous people on the earth. Right? There's no one who always does good. There's no one who never sins. That's why we need Jesus to atone for our sins. 
Without His sacrifice on our behalf, there isn't one single person under the sun who would have a relationship with God because He requires everyone to be holy as He is holy. And every one of us, every single one of us, has rebelled against Him in pursuing our own desires instead of following His commands. And Solomon tells us at the end of chapter 7 that not even the wisest person on the planet escapes the trap that sin sets for us. He says God made us good. Everything that He created, when we look at Genesis chapter 1, He says it was good, it was good, it was good. And then after He made man and woman, it was very good. And yet, we constantly choose our own way. Even though He made us good, we enjoy our sin so much that we are constantly going astray. Right Now, as far as following the Lord goes... This is detrimental to our relationship with Him because He is holy and His ways are always right. God's ways are always good because He is good and all of His laws, all of His commands are based on His nature and His character. And so we should always bow to His authority, not just when we feel like it, not when it's easy for us to do so. We should always bow to His authority. But with that said, what do we do when the authority that we are under, so anyone that is not God, what do we do when that authority isn't good? What do we do when maybe they are good, but yet they have made a bad decision? We have authority in our life that God has placed there, and they're sinful people just like you and I. So what do we do when they have messed up how should we handle that that's the question that Solomon's going to start off chapter 8 trying to answer for us right along with that he's going to inform us on you know what we should do with the mindset that humanity has its limits right we talked about that several times he's also going to point out that there is ultimate folly in evil And he's also going to encourage us yet again to enjoy what God has given us. And he's going to remind us that the wisest person on earth can't even know or understand what God is doing in this life. So we've got some ground to cover this morning. All right, so let's pray for our time and then we'll dive in and we'll get this done. Let's go. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for what it shows us about ourselves what Solomon has been telling us about this life and the futility of pursuing anything in it other than you. And Lord, as we constantly have to deal with issues of authority, when we're constantly dealing with things that are out of our control, I pray that we would be mindful that you have shown us in your word how to best handle these situations. And I pray that we would call on that. We would store it up in our heart and we would call on that in moments when we are struggling to honor your commands. Lord, I ask this all in your son's precious name. Amen. All right, so we're going to begin our time this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 1 to 6. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Who is like the wise person, and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A person's wisdom brightens his face, and the sternness of his face is changed. Keep the king's command because of your oath made before God. Do not be in a hurry. Leave his presence, and don't persist in a bad cause, since he will do whatever he wants. For the king's word is authoritative, and who can say to him, what are you doing? The one who keeps a command will not experience anything harmful, and a wise heart knows the right time and procedure. For every activity, there is a right time and procedure, even though a person's troubles are heavy on him. Now, here 
in these opening verses of chapter 8, Solomon is attempting to direct us on how we should navigate an issue that someone might have where, when they're in the king's court. Right? So you're in the king's presence. There's people from the court around you. And what do you do in that moment if the king does something or says something that you disagree with? Right? The king in this situation has ultimate authority in his kingdom. Right? So it can be hazardous to your position in the court or it could be hazardous to your health if you do not handle this situation well. Right? So the first thing that Solomon tells us to be mindful of is our countenance in the king's presence. In verse 1 he says, If you are wise, you will not show your apparent displeasure at what's happening through a stern look. Right, so you hear something you don't like, you see something you don't like, and all of a sudden it registers on your face. Like We have these, sometimes to us, imperceptible mannerisms and changes that happen to us depending on what emotion that we're experiencing. Now he's saying here, if you disagree with what is happening, right, you should brighten your face and not risk drawing the king's attention to the fact that you are upset about what's going on. Because depending on the temperament of the king, that might end poorly for you. Right, if you start sneering at something that the king has said or you act repulsed by something that the king has done, depending on the temperament of the king, that could end in your incarceration. It could end in your death. Maybe he kicks you out of the court. Right, if you have someone that has authority over you and they are either insecure or they're foolish, they may not tolerate any sense of disapproval at all they may not tolerate any sense of disagreement at all because they would take this as a challenge to their authority and it's important to be mindful of that as you navigate a situation like this right we don't we don't have kings necessarily that we answer to in this day and age for for our culture our context so the closest thing that i could come up with is a boss right an owner of a company or a ceo or some something of that nature and you're maybe in a meeting and something a decision is made that you don't agree with or that they do something that you don't agree with so how you respond to this owner the ceo your supervisor this could have implications for you in this sense this is how we would apply this right solomon says at this point even if you disagree, you should fake it till you make it right now. Right? Put on a cheerful look until you can remove yourself from the court. Right? This might be difficult for some of us who struggle with a resting mean face. Y'all know what that is? Right? When you relax all the muscles in your face and you come out away with a permanent scowl. This is just how your face looks, right? This is just when you're not focusing on smiling and, and, and being fun and energetic Right? You're just sitting there minding your own business, trying to collect, have a little time to collect your thoughts. You get people asking you, what's wrong? Have you had a bad day? No, this is just my face. This is just how my face looks. I can't tell you how many times people ask me, are, are you okay? What's wrong with you today? It's just my face. It's just how it looks. I can't help it. Right? It's like, oh, alrighty then. You might want to do something about that. So after giving us some advice on how to handle that disposition, right? what to do with our face. Solomon then reminds us of an oath that was made in verse 2. Now, there is some debate about uh, from different translators on who has made this oath and to whom it was made. 
right? Some translators like the CSB, which is what I read, they've determined that the oath was made by you to the king in the presence of God, right? Others like the ESV believe that the oath was made uh, by God to the king. And that has a little bit of a change in how we should interpret this, right? So if the oath was made by you to the king before God, you said you would follow the king no matter what. So even if you disagree with him, you're going to go along with him and you should remember that oath before you rebel against what the king has commanded. Option number two, if the oath was made by God to the king, right? So think about the oath that God made to David where someone from his line would always be on the throne of Israel. So that kind of oath. All right, so if you rebel against the king's commands, then you could be, in essence, rebelling against God himself. All right, so that's kind of what's up in the air here. Uh, but no matter which way you interpret that, the point is basically the same. You should not casually just disregard an oath that was made. Right? There could be dire consequences to this if you've pledged your allegiance to this king and that king suffers from any kind of insecurity whatsoever. You just showing displeasure could end poorly. Right? But let's say that the king is indeed doing something foolish. Let's say that the king is indeed doing something that goes against the laws and the nature of God. Right? We, we cannot take part in those types of things because our ultimate loyalty is to God uh, and we're not under any authority on, on earth. Uh, not even the king can tell us what to do that would disagree with what God says to us. Right? We, cannot, we should not be commanded, we should not give in to a command that has been given that goes against God's law and nature. Right? He says, if that is the case, Right? If this is what's going on, then we should not leave in a rush. That's what he says in verse 3. He says, you should not be seen dishonoring the king by rushing out of the courtroom, out of the king's court. Right? He could find that embarrassing, you know, whether we like it or not. Uh, the scriptures are clear that God has appointed people to these positions of authority. Right? These appointments... They may be to help us and to be a blessing to us, or these appointments may be to discipline us because we have been in the act of rebelling against God. We see that in the Old Testament sometimes. A bad king will come in and rule over Israel as punishment to Israel because they have rebelled against God. But either way, we're supposed to respect the authority that has been set out for us. Paul says this in Romans 13, 1-2. He says, let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. So here, watch your countenance. Don't leave in a rush, but you should leave because the king is going to do whatever the king wants to do. Right? No one can stop him if he doesn't want to be stopped. So if the king is insecure and no one can question them then they're, and their word is final, then you want to get out of there so that you're not associated with the decision that the king made. And Solomon says in verses 5 to 6, if, if you handle all of this in the right way, even though the burden is heavy, right? We can disagree with authority if we do it at the right time in the right way. And if we do it that way, then the chances are we're going to be okay. 
Not guaranteed, obviously, but if we handle it the right way at the right time, then Solomon says you're, the odds are good that you'll make it through this without dire consequences. But unfortunately, that's not certain. For We can't know that due to the limits of human nature, which Solomon's going to talk about in verses 7 and 9. He once again points out, we are limited in our knowledge and we have very limited control over everything that's happening around us. Look at verse 7. It says there, yet no one knows what will happen because who can tell him what will happen? No one has authority over the wind to restrain it, and there's no authority over the day of death. No one is discharged during battle, and wickedness will not allow those who practice it to escape. All this I have seen applying my mind to all the work that is done under the sun at a time when one person has authority uh, over another to his harm. So even if you do everything right in your disagreement with the king, there's no telling how all of this is going to go down because we have very little control over everything that happens in our life. Now you, you may have heard it said, we say this to our children all the time, that you can't control what other people do. Now you have no control over them. Right? Even in a position of authority, like I, I can't control what my kids say. I can't control what my children do. I can only respond to what they say and do, and they can only respond to what I say and do. So we have no control over what they do, but they have control and you have control over your response. How you handle whatever comes down, your, down the path for your life, the only thing you have control over is how you respond to it. Right? That's the idea here. We have no idea how the outcome of the decisions that are made around us are going to affect us. We have no ability to know the outcome of even our own decisions. Right? If we, I've used the, the illustration of, of our lives being like dominoes. Right? And when we ask God why something happened, it would, he would have to back up like a thousand dominoes to get us to even begin to understand all the sequences of events in our life. And when we make a decision, that tips over another domino. And we can't know exactly what's going to happen once that process is started. But we should try to be wise, right? Even though we can't control all that's going on around us, we should try to be wise. We should try to be knowledgeable so that when we make decisions and when we do stuff, it's, a, it's an informed decision. You know, we're not just blindly acting on emotion. We should know how that's going to change things as much as possible, right? And we should always strive to honor God in the choices that we make. And if we do all of these things, then we can hope and pray that the, the, the dominoes that get knocked down have a positive effect on our lives and the lives of those around us. But at the end of the day, once these decisions are made, we just have to follow the path that those decisions lay out for us. And we just have to respond to that path, hopefully and prayerfully, in a, in a way that honors the Lord. Right, to make his point, though, Solomon says that no one has authority over the wind. Right? You can go out, you try to tell the wind what to do, and it does whatever it wants. Right? No one has control over the day that they die. Now, you can hasten that by being stupid. Right? Solomon has said that numerous times. Like, we can shorten our life if we're not wise. But we have no idea and no control over when that day comes. No one, he says, can be discharged from the battle once the war starts. So you think you have control of your life? Let, let a war break out over here that you're expected to fight in and then try to walk away from it and see how that works out for you. Now, you have no control over that. 
Right? He says there, wickedness won't allow anyone who practices it to escape. So if you got to where you are by being a wicked person, you can expect judgment for that at some point. Like you're not actually getting away with anything. You may think, hey, you know, no, no harm, no foul here. But what is actually happening is that God is going to hold you accountable for that. And there's nothing you can do about it. Right? Solomon points that out in verses 10 to 13. So follow along as I read that. In verse 10 it says, In such circumstances I saw the wicked buried. They came and went from the holy place, and they were praised in the city where they did those things. This too is futile, because the sentence against an evil act is not carried out quickly. The heart of people is filled with the desire to commit evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, I also know that it will go well with God-fearing people, for they are reverent before him. However, it will not go well with the wicked, and they will not lengthen their days like a shadow, for they're not reverent before God. So in this section, Solomon informs us that no matter how well it appears to be going for those who have rejected God's commands and they continually live a life of wickedness, in the end, God is going to hold them accountable for what they have done. Right? It, it may not look like that's the case in their life, though. It may look like nothing is going to happen after they die even because their earthly treatment is surprising. We see in verse 10, the wicked are being honored in the very places that they committed their wickedness. They're allowed to go in and out of the holy places. No one is stopping them from going into the holy places. They're honored in their city. It says that they were even given a proper burial, which is reserved for people who are respected. And so it, they, they have to be able to pay for such things, and they have to be respectable, or else they would just you know, put them in a hole in the ground, and, and that would be the end. So now, since we are created in the image of God, there's a deep-seated desire for us to see uh, justice come to those who have acted wickedly, right? We, we see the wicked prospering, we see them being honored, and we want to see something happen, right? We want to see justice, but sometimes that doesn't happen in life. The wicked appear to prosper all the way to the point of their death, but in verses 11 to 13, we're told by Solomon that those people are going to face judgment, guaranteed. Like, there's no question. Simply because that justice is delayed, it doesn't mean that it's not coming. Right? The delay that often occurs in judgment is one of the reasons why so many people give themselves over to that side of their nature. Right? If you know, we see you know, Jim over here who's constantly cheating on his wife, he's constantly cheating on his taxes, he's constantly stealing from other people, and we see no consequences for Jim, then maybe, and you know, sorry if you know a Jim that this reminds you of, that's not my, I'm not going for that, but we, we might begin to envy Jim's life. Well, if Jim's not going to get in trouble for it, why can't I get away with it? And so we begin to look at that and think, hey, maybe that is the way to go. Maybe I should lie, cheat, and steal to get as much as Jim has. But there are consequences to all of those things. There is always a consequence to sin, even if there are no immediate consequences to those sins. Right? Have you ever heard someone say something to the effect of, if God had a problem with it, he would stop me, right? I mean, maybe not those exact words, but it, you know, like we, we have this idea of karma 
right? We don't believe in karma at all, but we still somewhat live our lives according to karma. If, if God didn't approve of this, then something bad would happen to me. If God didn't approve of this, then God would just simply make me stop, right? I did this. I didn't get struck by lightning. God must be okay with it, right? That's, that's karma. That is not biblical in any way, shape, or form. Right? Or maybe we have this other mindset of if it were really wrong, there would be a sense of conviction in me. Well, what if your heart has been hardened by your constant sinful actions? And all of a sudden, what should convict you, what should ring alarm bells in your head saying, this is sin, this is sin, this is sin, you have disregarded that for so long that suddenly your heart has become callous to that. And the Holy Spirit is going to have to change things in your life, maybe cause you to go through some difficult times to open your eyes to the truth again. Right? Saying that I don't feel convicted is not a good excuse for breaking a clear command of the Lord. Right? Just because there's no conviction, just because there's no immediate punishment, people believe they're okay in what they're doing. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, Verses 8 to 13, we're given insight into what God is doing by waiting on bringing judgment. There, Peter tells us, dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Now, God's not late with his judgment, God is waiting for people to repent and come to faith in Christ. Verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Because of that day the heavens will be dissolved with fire, the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. God is waiting to bring judgment because he wants people to come to faith. God is waiting because he is gracious. God is waiting because he is merciful to sinful people like you and I who are constantly destined for an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That is why consequences for sin are not always immediate. Right? That is why God has not returned to, to remake the heavens and the earth because He's waiting for people to repent and come to faith because otherwise they will experience His wrath in hell forever. Now to be clear, we all deserve this punishment. Every single one of us deserve to be separated from God forever, tormented in hell by His wrath because we have all disobeyed God. We have all rebelled against His nature and His commands. Whether we acknowledge it or not, we are all wicked and we have all earned this death, this separation, this condemnation from God. This is how we all are apart from Christ. 
But because God loves us, he sent Christ to atone for our sins. If we will put our faith in him and accept the gift of salvation that is offered through his life, death, and resurrection, then we will be reconciled with God. We will not experience the punishment that we deserve. Amen. Come on, people. If that doesn't get an amen out of you, what will? God has given us the greatest gift of all time in the, the presence of Christ. And we get to experience that for free. That should get us excited. Now, as Peter said in 2 Peter 3, that delay and bringing punishment won't last forever. There is a day coming where all this is going to be wrapped up. There's a day coming when everyone will be held accountable for their deeds. Some are going to rest in the righteousness of Christ, and I pray that that is every single one of you. We will stand before the judge, and he will look at us and not see us, but see Jesus. And that's going to be amazing. There will be some who go before God and they're going to stand on their own merit. They're going to stand on their own righteousness and deeds and it's not going to go well for them. They rebelled against God. They chose to go into that without repentance and now forever they will be separated from the Lord. The last two sections in this chapter, they make points that we've covered several times through the book of Ecclesiastes. Now I'm going to read them because I feel like it's important that we try to read as much of the scripture as we possibly can. Uh, but I'm not going to spend a good deal of time on them uh, this morning because we've addressed this several times throughout other passages in the book. So in verses 14 and 15, Solomon says this. There is a futility that is done on the earth. There are righteous people who get what the actions of the wicked deserve, and there are wicked people who get what the actions of the righteous deserve. I say that this, too, is futile. So I recommended enjoyment because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat, drink, and enjoy himself, for this will accompany him in his labor during the days of his life that God gives him under the sun. So in verses 14 and 15, Solomon once again points out that there is much about this life that's not fair. Right? It's not fair. Sometimes righteous people get what the wicked deserve, and sometimes wicked people get what the righteous deserve. And the best way to get over that, Solomon says, is to enjoy what God has given you. Right? That's been a constant, consistent refrain from Solomon. It's okay for you to enjoy the blessings that God has given you. Right? We should do this in moderation, right? Because some of us are extremely blessed. Right? So we shouldn't focus everything that God has given us on ourselves. Right? We shouldn't take a great deal more than what we need. Again, that's not to say that you shouldn't save up for retirement. That's not to say that you shouldn't put something back for when something happens to you and you're no longer able to work. But we should live a moderate life so that when there are excesses, we can give that away to people who are less fortunate to us. Right? But if God has given you a nice house, he, he has blessed you with good food, a good job, it's okay for you to take that, thank him for it, and enjoy it. 
right? We're not all called to just be paupers, right? Sometimes God has given us the blessing of a good job so we can make lots of money so we can give most of it away. And that's okay, right? Lastly, in verses 16 and 17, Solomon says this, When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the activity that is done on the earth, even though one's eyes do not close and sleep day or night, I observed all the work of God and concluded that a person is unable to discover the work that is done under the sun. Even though a person labors hard to explore it, he cannot find it. Even if a person, a wise person claims to know it, he is unable to discover it. So here, Solomon is saying that he took his considerable wisdom and he applied it to know what God is doing. And he came to the same conclusion that no one can know all that God is doing on the earth. Right? It's not possible for a finite mind to fully understand the infinite. It's just not feasible. Right? A lot of people say, one day, right, we're going to be in heaven and God's going to answer all those questions that we had. Right? I'm not sure that that's going to happen for two reasons. Number one, I don't think we're going to care as much about those questions when we get to see Jesus face to face. I don't think those things are going to matter anymore. So that burning desire that you have right now to ask why, why did that happen? Why did that happen? Why did that happen? When you see Jesus face to face, you're not going to care. In that moment, when you get to look in the eyes of your Savior, who cares? Why? Here I am. And there he is. Right? Who cares? Secondly, we're still not God. I don't know what you think is going to happen to you when you get your newly formed body and your newly formed mind. Right? Everything is broken. Our mind's broken, body's broken. Everything about us is broken because of our sin. Now, when that is restored, when Christ comes back, all the resurrection happens and we are restored, like, everything's going to work real good. Okay? So much better than now. But you're still not God. And so one of the things that's going to be amazing in the new heavens and the new earth is that we are going to have eternity to pursue and ponder the depths of God. Right? It's just going to be constantly unfolding this thing and that thing. And it's, and it's going to open our eyes to a little bit more of who God is and a little bit more of who God is. And how could it possibly be worth doing or seeing if eventually we came to the end of it and we go, I understand everything there is to know about God. And yet here I gotta, I've, I've got to spend the rest of eternity. What do I do now? Right? God is infinite and we are going to spend the rest of eternity getting to know him more and more and more. He's going to reveal himself to us more and more and more. I mean, maybe none of that's true. I don't know. It's speculation on my part. This is the kind of stuff that I think about, though. Right? It would surprise me greatly if all of the questions that I have about this life were answered when I meet Jesus face to face. It would surprise me. But that wraps up chapter 8. Right? It's, it's, it's a great deal easier as a pastor to wrap up passages that have only one main theme. This one had like five. Okay? You know, this is, it, it's, Ecclesiastes is just like this, and it's going to continue to be like this for the next several chapters. Uh, so my question to you this morning, as far as application goes, is which one of those stuck out the most to you today? 
Right? Are you struggling with authority? Right? Like I said, we don't live in a time and place where we have to deal with kings, but we do live in a time and place where we have to deal with bosses that we don't necessarily like, with other people that might have undue authority in our life. Right? We have judges and police officers and um, you know, people that have the power to make our lives go poorly if we don't acknowledge and accept their authority over us. So how are you doing living in that authority? We have to remember that God placed those people in our lives for a reason. And you could ask why and wait till you get to heaven to find out, but I don't know if you're going to get that answer. Is it more that you're struggling with the lack of control and the lack of understanding that naturally comes with this life? Are you wrestling with the question, why? Right? Is that you here today? I mean, Solomon's telling you over and over again that you're just not going to get it. And so that wrestle, though you're probably wrestling with something that is very significant in your life and is very difficult in your life, you may not come to the conclusion of that question. And so what do you need to do with that? You need to figure out what it looks like to pursue after the Lord without that answer. What does it look like to go after the Lord without everything that you want to know before you? Maybe you're struggling with this idea of delayed judgment for the wicked. Maybe someone wronged you. Maybe someone seems to be living the life that you should be living and they stole it from you. How are you processing this idea that they're not actually getting away with any of this? No matter what this life looks like for them, it's going to go poorly when they're standing before the judge. Can you still honor God, love them as an enemy even, and be okay with that delayed judgment? What's your heart doing with that? Right? Are you accepting well that life is not fair? Sometimes the wicked get what the righteous deserve. Sometimes the righteous get what the wicked deserve. And can you then still enjoy what God gives you anyway? Or, here we go, all five of these. Can you acknowledge that fully understanding God is not something that's within your grasp? And can you be okay with that? Can you come to terms with your humanity and God's godness? That can be difficult for us from time to time. There's something inherently mysterious about the Christian faith because we just don't understand all there is to know about God. And we have to be okay with that. And we can't be afraid of that mystery. You know, I know there are some people who never share their faith because they're afraid that someone's going to ask them about a question about God that they don't know the answer to. Well, unfortunately, guys, you're never going to know all the answers to those questions. That's what's going to make heaven awesome because we're going to come up with an idea and we're going to present it before God and he's going to unfold that for us, which is going to create another question, which is going to create another opportunity for God to let us know more about him. And it'll go on and on and on for eternity. And it's going to be amazing. Amazing. So what are you struggling with here today? I'd love to pray for you about whatever it is. If you've got a struggle or anything that you want to talk about, I'm here, right? I usually stay after church service. I'm not doing that today since some of you are coming over to the house. We're going to get things cleaned up and ready to go. When you've got five kids in the house, you've got a lot of work to do. 
So we're going to be doing that. But I would love to grab co coffee, food, just hang out at any point if you ever need to talk. Let's pray together. Father, Solomon has provided us with a lot to chew on this morning. And it's my desire that whatever it is that sticks out uh, the most fervently in the minds of everyone here, that you would help reveal enough to show that whatever we're struggling with, you have it under control and that we can place it at your feet. We can trust that you know how to best use this for our good. Lord, help us to understand that the authority that has been placed in our life has been placed there for a reason. And help us to honor that. Lord, help us to accept our lack of control. Lord, help us to be patient when we see the wicked prosper. Lord, help us to pray for their salvation. We see in your word that you're waiting for them to repent, and I pray that they would. That they would see the error of their ways and that they would seek Jesus and their lives would change significantly. Lord, help us to understand that sometimes life's not fair and we should just enjoy what you've given us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to come to terms with the fact that we just won't ever fully understand you. But that's what makes you amazing. That we get to spend eternity searching you and learning about you and growing in our relationship with you. And I pray that you would put that longing in our life and you would put that longing in us that we would want everyone to get to experience that. And that would change how we look at the people that we come across, our neighbor, our coworker, our friends, our family, or the, the bagger at the grocery store, everyone. Help us to desire their relationship with you as much as we desire our own. I ask this in your son's precious name. Amen.